0: Welcome back. So, hey, Richard, it's good to see you. Nice to see you. It's good to be seen, you know. I mean, it, it is. It feels like it's been a very long week. Um in part that's because I I know this because school's just are just starting back. And so, um we're we're getting through the second week here and um My goodness, it just makes um, everything is so different. Everything is so up in the air, you know, with the Delta variants and all this kind of stuff. I mean, we're not talking about COVID today, but um, it has it has affected just about everything in our lives.
1: You know, it's hard not to talk about COVID because it's such an overwhelming news story. Everybody's talking about it and it's really difficult Because you you think, well, should should we discuss it? And you just have to, I guess, stop talking about it after a while. And there there are other things happening around the world, goodness knows. Um, and I I think Bernie, don't you get that feeling that we have probably reached some kind of an endpoint on there are just some people who are not gonna get vaccinated. Right. There are some people who don't believe in masks, and there really isn't anything. Uh, that we're going to do about that. I mean, right. the, sort of the, the lines have been drawn and I, I think that the, you know early on in the pandemic we, they predicted that 30 percent of people would not get vaccinated, right. no matter what, you know and that's just about where we are. And I don't think any, I don't think any evidence is going to convince them of that. I mean, people are dying. People who didn't get vaccinated are now telling people, please get vaccinated. I'm sorry that I didn't get the vaccine. Mm. I
0: don't think it's going to matter. Yeah. No, it's, 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 it's discouraging and it's challenging because um, it does affect everyone. Uh, yes, yeah. So, um, yeah. So, so, you know, again, dealing with all of that, and of course with school starting back, you're dealing with that in in the midst of, you know, hundreds, right. if not thousands of students in your, in your, in a building that you're in and um, trying to cope with all of that. So, um, so it's made for a, a couple of really long weeks, but um, but again, we're not. We're, our, our goal isn't to talk about COVID today. We're going to talk about um, some relationship uh, issues. Now, now, a lot of what we do in our our uh, practice is, is work with we, we certainly work with a lot of individuals. Um, we also work with a lot of couples, and right. much of the work that we do, whether it's with individuals or with couples, is focused on couples. <laughs> we focus on dealing with helping people manage relationships. And um, so we're going to talk about relationships and attachment today. Right. That's right.
1: Um, Yeah. When, when we talk about, when we talk to couples um, much of what we discuss is how do you communicate effectively with each other? And, And by effectively, we mean in ways that doesn't create problems in the relationship. Okay. Not just do you understand, but communicate in a way that, Um, It's clear and doesn't create additional problems. The second thing is, how do you resolve your differences? Um, And and those seem to be the two things that we focus on. Now, there are many factors involved in communication, effective communication and um, resolving our differences. But one of them is your attachment style. I think most people have heard of the five love languages, you know, it's a common thing out there. and you know, that your love language can affect your relationship. Well, um, I believe that attachment theory, uh, attachment can also influence your relationship in the same kind of way. Attachments a little less familiar to us. Uh, Love languages is easy to understand and say, oh yeah, that's who I am. Uh, Attachment theory is a little bit more complicated than that, but it exerts the same kind of an influence.
0: Right. Well, and I think that it, part of that is because when we think of attachment, we typically think of kids. We exactly. Think of attachment right. between a, a child towards their parent, but um, but but we have attachments to other people as well. And you know, and I think that you you brought up a good point that you know when we talk about communication and um, as we go through some of these uh, these issues with attachment, we think about. Um, resolving differences and solving conflicts and stuff in a relationship. I think it's important to know that um, all relationships have disagreements, all relationships have conflict. And, you know, some of the, the biggest researchers in relationships like the Gottmans and, and, and all, they, they talk about, you know, a, a relationship is healthy when there's, when there's conflict, when there's some disagreement, because, that means that you're comfortable enough to to state your opinion and the other person is comfortable enough to state their opinion. And again, as we talk about uh, attachment, we're going to talk about some of those kinds of factors, but um, there is no conflict free relationship. Um, There's bound to be conflict at some point in, in, in Mm -hmm. thing. so, um, but, but when we think about attachment, you know, again, much of that early research was as it relates to kids. and it, it has to do with the development and the, you know, the formation of this um, comfort level that the, that we have with each other, that our needs and our, um, our, our wants, all that stuff is going to be met that we're going to be attended to and comforted when we need to need right.
1: it. And, and as you say, all of this begins in childhood, right? I mean, it's, it's, much of the literature, much of the research, has been done in childhood because that's when attachment first occurs. Right. It's the it's the attach it's the infant caregiver right. attachment, and the the understanding of attachment um, comes out of uh, psychoanalytic theory right. by Freud, who said there. Uh, Freud, who first, you know, Freud is sort of the first child psychologist in, in a way, right. because he was the first to say. There's some special relationship that
0: occurs, begins during infancy right. and continues. Well, it, because what he did was he was meeting with, he was working with adults, mostly, right. mostly adult women, married mm-hmm. women. And what he what he would talk about was, you know, some of these issues that you're experiencing as an adult are rooted in things that happened as you were a child, when you were a child. Right. That's and, right. so, um, and, it, and it makes really good sense. And we continue to see this even outside of the psychoanalytic field uh, branch um, that. You know depending on the the strength and the quality of your attachment in childhood right. that mm-hmm. helps predict in many ways the, the the level and quality of your attachments as an adult you know right. kids who don't ever form a really secure attachment to a parent have a really difficult time forming attachments to others as they get older including right. relationship relationships as they become adults
1: that's right now the so we we trace it back to Freud but the father of attachments is John Bowlby. That's the name that comes up over and over again, okay? And he was the one who first started to put together a um, um, sort of a theory, a comprehensive understanding of attachment. And But he came out of that psychoanalytic tradition of uh, Freud. And um, so he said that early experiences of childhood influence your development and behavior later in life. So he took Freud's idea And developed it, and um, he believed that attachment was evolutionary. That parents take care of young children as an instinctive drive for survival. Right, and this is um, so. It's an instinctive drive, something that's built into our DNA. Okay, and there are basic. There are several basic propositions of attachment. Right. One is that you get confidence. You develop a confidence that your primary caregiver will be available, right? Will will take care of your needs. As an infant, you can't take care of your own needs. Right. So you get a, a nurturing caregiver, takes care of your needs. And so you develop less fear. There's there's less dis, distress right. and less fear because somebody's out there, ta- somebody out there is taking care of me. Okay. Second, confidence develops during a, what he calls a critical period. Mm-hmm. Now, critical period, that, that phrase is important because when we use the term critical period, what it means is that if it doesn't develop at this time, right. it may not develop.
0: Right. You know? And we see that very often um, in, in in various cases from around the world, especially as it relates to like... Um, foster situations and orphanages um, from around the world where, you know, you have Mm -hmm. children who as, you know, newborns or or very young infants are placed in some of these orphanages where they're they're not tended to that their needs aren't met, you know, that Mm -hmm. that first level of confidence isn't reached. Um, And as a result, you know, they have lifelong, they often have lifelong challenges with developing that ability to trust and to, to have that confidence that their needs are going to be met because it didn't happen early in life. And many times, no matter how loving, how, you know, secure, how, how um, you know, consistent a, a future parent is or a future caregiver is, you know, that child may never develop that ability to have that full attachment, that full confidence. That's right.
1: And when we talk, when we use the word confidence, We could also use the word security, you know, there's a security in knowing that somebody's taking care of you. And you can imagine what it does to an infant who's not cared for, you know, who's cold and wet and hungry and thirsty and tired, and those needs are not being met. So we could replace confidence with security. And and then the, the last proposition is that the attachment that you have as an infant or young child influences your behavior later on it, it may not be identical in adulthood and, and that's an important point is that it it doesn't mean just because you have this kind of attachment as an infant you're going to have exactly the same attachment as an adult but the kind of attachment you have will influence your behavior your expectations and your responses to other people later
0: in life absolutely and so it's not it's not <clears throat> one-to-one predictable uh right. it's not causal for, for, you know, using this mm-hmm. sort of research, statistical words, right. um, but it is, um, it, it is correlated, um, right. you know, when we see a person um, and it's oftentimes sort of reverse correlated. So when you see an adult who has a really difficult time forming relationships and managing some of those, mm-hmm. some of those um, details and, and conflicts in, in relationships, you look back and you can see that they had some of those really difficult times as, right. as a child. Um, And so there is this relationship there um, between childhood and and adulthood.
1: Right, yeah, it's not
0: deterministic, but it does influence, right.
1: Right. Now, if John Bowlby is the father of attachment theory, Mary Ainsworth is the mother, right? right? Because it was Mary Ainsworth, she did that research where she would put um, parents and children in a room, and then she would ask the parent to leave Right until the, the baby stri- got just right, little, oh, little, started to cry and fuss a little bit, and then the parent would be reintroduced to the child, and then she would observe those interactions, and in uh, in observing those interactions, she made she came up with three types of attachment: right, one secure, ambivalent, and avoidant. Mm-hmm. Now the secure attachment is the first one. The second two, ambivalent and avoidant. Were signs of insecure attachment. Now, since then, there has been a fourth uh, type, mm-hmm. um, and that is called disorganized. And as you can imagine, the disorganized, of course, would be the worst. Okay, but Mary Ainsworth was the first to come up with these first three, and that's what we're going to discuss here. Secure attachment as a young child, and then what does it look like in adulthood? What does it so? It looks like this, and then it looks like this in adulthood.
0: Right. Absolutely. And, and it's interesting because we often talk about 80%, right? And yeah, we talk yeah. about you know, 80% of the population, you know, 80% of children are going to learn you know, well in the regular classroom. Um, 80% of um, people tend to be generally have good mental health um, status right. and everything. Um, well, according to their research, about 80% of attachments are secure. Right. Um, right. For the most part, most people develop a secure attachment to their to their parents um, mm-hmm. during these early early years of life. Right, which makes sense because
1: otherwise everybody would be disregulated. You know, there would be right. hundreds, of, and, and there aren't that many. So most of us take care of our babies. Right, most parents. You know, and we can talk about oxytocin and survival and uh, you know, but most parents really do a pretty good job of taking care of infants. <laughs> when they get to two and three it becomes a bit more of a challenge right most of us take care of infants okay Absolutely. and and so most kids end up securely attached
0: right and, okay? and when when a child has a good secure attachment they, they <laughs> tend to have fewer behavioral problems they tend to be less right. aggressive um they they mature at a rate consistent with what we would expect kids right. to mature And, um, and, and so, you know, as they progress through childhood and into adulthood, um, again, they tend to be more trusting. They tend to have pretty good self-esteem. They, they, um, you know, you can imagine if you, if you grow up and you know that your needs are going to be met and that you, you know, when you're, you know, discomfort, um, or you're experiencing discomfort, somebody's going to come and help comfort Mm -hmm. you. They're going to make you feel important. Mm -hmm. And so you end up having better self-esteem, um, You tend to be more sharing of your feelings and um, with other people. And so you you these early experiences have these long-term effects that are you know important when we're thinking about different types of relationships as adults.
1: Right. Yeah. So in secure attachment, as children, what we see in children, and 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 as we mentioned each one of these things, you can immediately think about it as, oh, so as an adult, it would look like this. Okay. So a child who's securely attached is mildly distressed when they're separated from their parents. Well, parents are sending their kids off to college at this time of year and they're, they're mildly distressed about that separation okay? Um, second, um, secure securely attached children will seek and accept comfort from parents that they they sort of, they're held and they're nestled and, they're, they're, and they re- respond to that, the comforting of the parent. Mm-hmm. And they greet their parents when, when the parents approach. They greet their parents with positive emotions. You know, there's, there's this obvious uh, positive connection.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And there's an obvious preference for parents to strangers, right? So these are the
0: things, and you can see how this would play itself out. In adult relationships and 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 these kids they recover so quickly. You know, mm-hmm. you can see, um, if you go into YouTube and you type in attachment and um, the strange strange situation, you'll get you'll see lots of videos of the of these types of experiments, and you can see that the securely attached kid does all of these things. You know, they 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 are they they smile and they they go to their parents when their parent walks back in the room, and they they seek that comfort. But then they're ready to get back down and play again. You right. know, it's right. they, they 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 feel comforted. They're like, "Oh yeah, I knew she would come back." That's mm-hmm. right. And then they go down and they can play again. Right. Um, you know, as we get into some of the other ones, we don't see that. Right. Um, we we don't see that same quick recovery. We see more of that dysregulation that we often mm-hmm. talk about. That's right. Right. So you can
1: see that if you're securely attached as a child, as an adult, you tend to have more trusting relationships. You have higher self-esteem. Um, you're less likely to get taken advantage of or be in an abusive relationship. You're willing to share your feelings with your partner and with other people. And you you seek out social supports. You, you understand the value of social supports. And so you, you just are living in this healthier sort of supportive environment, okay, which is what you experienced as a child. And once we leave the secure attachment, we get into what we co- what Ainsworth called ambivalent attachment. Right. And these kids are more wary of strangers. These are the kids who have a little stranger anxiety. They're fussy when parent passes the child off to another person. The kid sort of starts to rebel and resist a little bit. There's far more distress when their parents leave. There, there's a little separation anxiety. And they don't... Um, when the parent returns, the the child doesn't um, isn't as comforted by the parent. They don't settle in and nestle in and start to relax. They they remain a little distressed even when the parent tries to comfort them.
0: Right? Yeah they um they 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 cry for longer periods of time, and they um and and then you know <clears throat> it takes a lot longer for the child to be able to you know, get back to exploring the room. Mm-hmm. And many times you'll, you'll see this even um, before the parent leaves, right. the child <laughs> tends to stay much closer to the parent. Uh, and we see this with, right. with all of the insecure types, the parent mm-hmm. the child tends to stay a little bit closer to the parent or frequently checks to make sure that the parent is still there right. before the parent leaves. Um, right. So, so yeah, the, um, they, they have this great difficulty regulating um that separation mm-hmm. right and so then
1: as adults as, as the ambivalent uh, attachment when it reaches adulthood um you feel this reluctance to become too close to other people you don't you know you don't share your feelings um and when the relationship ends it's like the end of the world okay because you you've uh, you've attached yourself to somebody but when it ends then you're 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 left um, um to to sort of wander as adults um, you're reluctant to get too close to other people. And you're always concerned that your partner doesn't really love you. You know, that you, you, there's this lack of trust that this person doesn't really care about me because you weren't attached securely uh, during infancy and early childhood. And this um, lack of trust, this lack of reciprocal relationship um, leads to a lot of breakups, right? Because uh, that you, you the relationship begins to feel cold and distant. And I think we see this in, in marriages all the time, where people get together. And we talk about the seven year itch, or after five years, the problems begin, because that's when these things, you, over time, you just don't feel that the other person cares about you and so and over a few years it builds and builds and builds until the relationship uh, feels like it's cold and distant
0: right and and what what often happens is that uh, as you said you know when the relationship ends the person becomes very distressed yeah. and when it was a you know if it was a marriage or a, a relationship right. that that had children that person tends to then sort of cling to the kids right. their kids, as that source of security. Well, you know, my partner didn't love me that much, but look, you know, the kids need me and it's, it almost creates, you know, if we kind of introducing a new vocabulary word, it codependence with, um, yeah. you know, others, including your children, where it's like, you need them to need you. And you, you, you have that relationship mm-hmm. to, to fill that, need for that love and that um, attachment. Right. But and so the
1: relationship that you weren't able to have with an adult, you you are able to have with your children because children children bring a, a different level of love
0: and, and um, attachment. You know, because that, they, need that, you. they are dependent on you. right. And and it only lasts until the kids get old enough to move <laughs> on and you know they start working and wanting to be spend more time with their friends. Right, when that parent experiences those that that right. separation or that um, that that sep- that break again, right. Um, right. and it's really difficult for them to let right. go. The kids, yeah, they become teenagers
1: and they leave, which is what teenagers are supposed to do, and that that leaves again, that leaves that that vacuum in the in the adult caregiver's life. Right. Then the third is avoidant attachment. This is where where kids start to really either avoid or resist sometimes resistance is passive, sometimes it's active. And this is these are kids who tend to be a little bit more aggressive and where we enter the field of reactive attachment disorder mm-hmm. where kids actually become pretty physically aggressive with not only with their parents, but with other uh, caregivers, other, other individuals.
0: Right. So what you see is that these kids may actively avoid their parents um, and, and they don't really seek that contact and comfort. If they're distressed, they don't want to be held. Um, They don't want the parent to pick them up. And so, you know, in, in this strange situation, the parent walks in and the the child's upset, the parent goes to pick up the kid and the kid pushes them away or hits them or, or Mm -hmm. sort of refuses them in some way. Um, And, and, you know, it's, it's, it's distressing to both the parent and the child because, you know, what parent wants their child to respond to them that way um, though. It's usually again, a, a sort of a result of this inadequate development of an attachment and that security. That's right.
1: And then, so you can imagine these children, they become adults. They weren't attached as infants. And, and these are the kids who arch their backs and they headbutt and they, they it almost looks like they're trying to escape from their parents mm-hmm. right? Right, right? rather than me. Comforted by them. As adults, these are become l- more likely to become individuals who have problems with intimacy. Um, they don't invest much emotion in um, social and romantic relationships. They're unable to share their, their true thoughts and feelings. They always remain a little bit distant, you know, like they're um, they're, they're just afraid to get too close. Okay. So they avoid intimacy. Uh, by using excuses you know, I have a headache I have this I, I have to go to work'm and you see this in many relationships where one or the other partners is just too busy to have a relationship to invest in the relationship
0: right yeah. and so and, and so they in that you see that in lots of aspects of the relationship from mm. the time they spend together to their intimacy and, and there right. isn't as much of a A level of commitment to one person, so they may end up having other relationships as well. Um, And you know, and you especially see it during times of stress. Yeah, right. Right. When when there's, we all go through these different life struggles, whether it's financial or moves or whatever the case may be, Mm -hmm. and these individuals have a really difficult time connecting with their partners at right. those times so that they can, you know, work together to solve the issues or to come up with solutions. And, and they just right. continue to have those difficulty sharing emotions and feelings with them.
1: Right. That's why, And that's why these settling marital differences is so difficult with people who can't share their real feelings. Right. Okay? Um, one other thing that's, a, uh, I don't think I need a trigger warning here, but one of the problems many uh, that we encounter with couples is we talk about um, intimate relationships outside the marriage, okay? And in a healthy marriage, a uh, healthy relationship, that's far less likely, um, but there, this does happen. And it may be that the partner who is unable to attach, who has avoidant attachment, is the kind of partner who will go out and have casual sex, even if they're in a committed relationship and and the problem is not that they don't love their partner it's that they just can't make enough of a commitment to keep the relationship confined to the home okay and because they they can't attach enough and so it's a little bit easier for them to go out and, and do other things with other people okay right. and and so the, again that it we say infidelity but it could be an attachment problem and if it's a pro- if, it, if the therapist approaches it as an attachment issue rather than just a simple infidelity issue a bad choice or bad judgment um, then there's some work you could do therapeutically with the attachment right mm-hmm. right um, and so other common characteristics um, they don't support their partners during stressful times um, I think of Newt Gingrich Gingrich bringing divorce papers to his wife while she's in the hospital uh, getting treatment for cancer, and he brings in the divorce papers. That's sort of the opposite of supporting your partner during times of stress. Um, But we often see that. We often hear that. Parents say, you know, I'm going through this very stressful time, and my husband just isn't available. Or the husband will say, you know, I get home, and I'm tired, and my wife just doesn't understand how much stress I'm under. Okay, so that, so there's this um, the the inability to support your partner during stressful times and the, and especially the inability to share feelings and thoughts and emotions you know people will come people will go to a therapist and they will devolve, they will disclose their real feelings here but they can't disclose those feelings at home right and that's a problem that's an attachment problem
0: right yeah and and so as As we think about couples and attachment styles and and a lot of these things that we're talking about, you know there are there are many factors that that play into it, not just attachment style. Um, you know, Brene Brown, for example, talks a lot about vulnerability mm-hmm. and, right. and and the the willingness to be mm-hmm. vulnerable with our partners uh, to open up and you know talk about emotions and feelings mm-hmm. and things like that. And so all of that plays into this. But, um, you know, there, there, there's an, an art, another article that we linked to in the in the show notes called um, Couples and Attachment Differences. Right. And, um, and in it, the author talks about, you know, the reality that, you know, all attachment doesn't look the same. You know, we have these three categories for the yeah. most part um, for if you include the, the newer ones of, um, but the... Um, but all of attachment styles don't have to look exactly alike. You, you can have a couple who, right. you know, the, the, the way that they manifest their attachments could be a little bit different. Right. Um, but all of these attachments do influence the relationships. You know, they don't have to look the same, but they do influence the relationship.
1: Right. Even, a, even a, an intact, healthy relationship is still affected by each person's attachment. Right. Right. And, and where it becomes problematic is because you could have one partner, one person in the, in the relationship has a secure attachment. Another has an avoidant attachment, but as long as you're working together, you can still overcome those differences. It doesn't mean that a secure has to marry a secure. Right. Where you get into trouble is if avoidant marries avoidant. And, and that could be a
0: problem. Well, and, and it's a problem. Um, Like one of the things that we talk about often on the podcast and um, especially before COVID, when we were talking about lots of other things, um, (laughs) the um, one of the things we talked about a lot was, you know, just insight. Mm -hmm. Um, If you don't have a very good attachment style, like if it's really difficult for you to trust and to connect with other people, the more that you recognize it and can communicate, look, look, I, I, I love you but I really have a difficult time connecting. I have a difficult time communicating. I'm going to do my best, but you know, let's work with a therapist. Let's let's meet with somebody on a regular basis so that right. I can keep working on this. And, you know, whether I keep getting better at it or not, at least we're meeting somewhere where we feel comfortable and we can share some of these things right. um, and, and be open with each other. Right. Um, that can be such a valuable approach to dealing with some of these issues. To where a person who has a secure attachment can have a successful relationship with somebody who has an avoidant or uh, mm-hmm. um, you know a more complicated insecure attachment, right. um, they could still work things out, but they have to be able to be open and acknowledge where they are. That's right, right.
1: And and you have to you have to at least be willing to investigate what what was your likely attachment to your parents. I mean, I always assumed that I had a secure attachment. But as i as i dig into the attachment theory, I, i'm not really sure you know right. do i really was i really securely attached because we all have some of these other characteristics and probably what people are going to find is that in some ways i'm securely attached and in some ways i'm avoidant or ambivalently attached okay and so you could have some combination but but i but it re- i think it really would help couples and I can think of couples that I work with, I have worked with, that their problem was probably attachment. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that one or the other partners just wasn't able to bring enough, um, dis- enough passion, emotion, commitment to the relationship, not because of the other person, not because they weren't happy in the marriage, but because of att- early attachment uh, issues.
0: Yeah. And, and again, I think that the, the challenges that, or where it really begins to deteriorate and fail is when one or both of the partners just don't recognize and take accountability for their part Mm -hmm. of it. Right. Say, you know, this is where my difficulty is and I'm going to do this about it, or this is what I'm willing to to do. You know, you can say, well, I have a difficult time, you know, trusting you're just going to have to deal with that. Mm-hmm. that's not working as a partnership. That's yeah. not working to to improve or strengthen the relationship. That's just saying this, I have this problem. You're just, you know, and that's just it. Right. There's nothing I can do about it.
1: That's right. And, and um, as you say, it, the, it gives you a focus for uh, bringing change to the relationship. Instead of saying my partner doesn't love me, my partner doesn't care about me. My partner is selfish because that's typically what, people say when they begin therapy, you can say, well, no, wait a minute. I understand because my partner has told me about his or her early life experiences. And this could well be an attachment problem, right. which makes it, which gives you a completely changes the focus. And That's it good. gives you a place to do the work that you have to do. Like the, it's like, like we said at the beginning, the, it, the it's like the five love languages it gives you a vocabulary and a context in which you can do the work that you need to do to improve the relationship.
0: Right. Okay. So so when we think about these attachment um, mm-hmm. styles, we can think about how they influenced sort right. of massive um, mm-hmm. ass- ca- components of a healthy relationship. And, right. and one of those massive components of a relationship is communication. Right. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and, and I think that those are the examples that we're we're using here, right? Is that you know the the ability and willingness to openly communicate with one another and say mm-hmm. this is where I am, this is who I am, this is my history. What is your history? And listening to the other person so that you have this exchange of information, mm-hmm. so that you can um, understand where the other person is, where they where they come from, and and how your aspects, your characteristics mesh with that or don't mesh with that, you know, how how that works. Right. Because
1: when we talk about communication, we're talking about how you hear, whether you hear, but also how you hear what the other person is saying to you. Right. And we all know couples who, you know, one of the, one of the persons will say something and it's taken completely out of context. It's completely misinterpreted. Um, You know, that's not what I meant. Uh, That's not, that's not, you're not hearing the correct, this is what we hear in therapy. So are we reading? Are we not reading, not hearing? Are we overhearing? Are we, are we reading too much into it? And those, those kinds of communication problems, you could probably trace back to attachment, right? If I'm insecure and somebody says, wow, that's not a very good color on you. That can be devastating to me. Okay, not what the person meant. Th- that's how I took it because of my attachment. And what would I do? I would probably become offended and hurt and, and counterattack. Okay, and if you think about how many times we're communicating with each other in a parent in a in a partner to partner, how about parent to teenager? Imagine the insecurities there. You know, if you have an attachment problem, or uh, employer to employee. You know, your employer comes in and criticizes you. It's not meant as a personal attack. It's just that this was done incorrectly. And well, if you, if you have an ambivalent or avoidant, uh, you're probably going to react inappropriately or incorrectly. Right. But so, so first of all, we want it's attachment is a way um, it gives you an avenue to improve communication. If you think about communication as a function of attachment,
0: right. And problem solving. Right, and when you think about communication, it flows almost directly into that second pillar of problem solving. You know, if when there are issues or challenges in a relationship, which there are issues and challenges in every every relationship, relationship. right? Um, you know, you have to be able to communicate to problem solve through that issue,
1: um,
0: right. it, because and when we can't communicate, when we can't problem solve, issues are never. Um, Are never addressed properly they're never resolved right well and and, and, you know i I keep i brought up the gottman's earlier and i'm going to bring them up again in Mm -hmm. a few minutes the third pillar but um you know what they talked about is you know through their research and they have researched you know tens of thousands of couples Mm -hmm. um what they said is you know the success of a marriage doesn't isn't dependent upon your ability to resolve a conflict he said you know many times conflicts are not, are not resolved even in really healthy relationships, but they can communicate about them and they can problem solve and they can come to a compromise in an agreement. And that's part Mm -hmm. of problem solving. It it can be, you know, I really don't like your work hours. Um, And you may say, I can't change my work hours. But what it sounds like is you're saying that it doesn't feel like I spend enough time with you and with the family. And so Instead of, because I don't have any control over this, we can compromise and we can do this. Exactly. You know, we're not going to resolve that conflict, solve that problem specific, specifically, but we can resolve the real problem. That's right. That's right.
1: One, one of the first questions I ask couples is, how do you resolve your differences? Mm-hmm. What, what is the process that you use to resolve your differences? And most of the time I get, uh, we don't have one of those. Um, and and what the, then the next thing they say is we just argue until we're exhausted mm-hmm. and then we go to bed and we have, you know, but we don't resolve the issue. Right. So the, the issue keeps cycling through their relationship. Right. And what happens with couples is that in the absence of a problem solving procedure, you tend to get into, I call it the kitchen sink argument, where you just escalate and escalate and escalate until you're throwing everything but the kitchen sink at each other. Okay. And well, you did this. Yeah. But two years ago, remember we were at that party and you did, Yeah. But when I did that, remember the reason I did. And it goes on and on and on and on and on. And you argue to exhaustion. You don't resolve the issue. Um, you are able to
0: be together again, but then a short time later, the problem comes up because
1: you never resolved it.
0: Right. And, and, and it's the difference between arguing
1: mm-hmm.
0: and discussing or arguing and problem solving.
1: The problem's right.
0: There's, mm-hmm. those are two very different things because if you're arguing, it's like, you're both trying to convince the other of your, that your point is correct. That you're correct. Right. If you're problem solving, you're trying to come to a solution.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, And, and so that perspective, you, you can always tell by someone's vocabulary, even, right. you know, right. when well, we argue about things all the, this all the time, okay, <laughs> you're not working to solve the problem, you're, you're trying right. to prove your point or trying to convince the other person to agree with you. Right. Um, you're not trying to solve the problem. And so, um, but, but again, in many ways, that goes back to your communication style. Um, right. But it's your ability to, to problem solve it. But, mm-hmm. and, and then all of that culminates in that third pillar and and you know the Gottmans again refer to this as this is the secret this is the secret key to a healthy relationship and that is trust Mm -hmm. you know you have to be able to trust your partner um, you know that they're going to be it's the same thing that we talked about with kids that that you're they're going to meet your needs that they're going to listen to you that they're going to be available to you that they're going to have your best interest in mind just as they had their own best interest in mind. Right. Um, but trust is a massive aspect of a healthy relationship.
1: And, and I think they're correct. Um, they put this as the foundation, mm-hmm. but trust is directly related to attachment, right? Because if you have poor attachment as an infant, That's you're right. likely to have poor attachment as an adult. Right. If you couldn't remember, you, we used the word security when we were talking about infant attachment. And that same security, as an adult, we would translate it to trust.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I'm secure in my relationship. With, I trust you to have my best interests at heart. And I see couple after couple after couple. And one or the other will say, he just, doesn't, it, I don't think he cares about it. I don't think he trusts me. I don't think he cares about me. It, I don't think that's the issue. The issue is that a secure, insecure attachment can lead to uh, these trust issues, right. which then affect everything else.
0: Right. And right. people will come in and say from the very beginning, um, I have trust issues. Mm-hmm. I, I don't, and, and that's great. That's great insight. Mm-hmm. But it's like so many other things where it's, you know, it's fantastic to recognize that about yourself. Right. But what are you going to do about it?
1: And, you know, I liken it to trust is a symptom.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: of an underlying problem. The problem may be attachment. Right.
0: Okay. So, and, so We need to be willing to do something to help you resolve this issue with trust. That's right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and that's, a, that's oftentimes a therapeutic process. Right. That's right?
1: right. Yeah, trust, a lack of trust, unable to solve problems, communication problems, that's the tip of the iceberg.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Okay, that, that tells us that there's something fundamentally wrong here. And so let's take a closer look at this. And as you look at it, you can look at love languages, but you also look at attachment. There are other issues, but attachment is one of the things that I think many of us overlook. We we overlook it individually, we overlook it, we overlook it therapeutically too, that this could be an attachment issue. And we Uh, we need to remember to investigate that. Definitely, because
0: the more that we understand our attachment, Mm -hmm. the better we will be at improving and addressing issues in our relationships. So, you know, looking at how well or poorly you communicate, you know, Mm -hmm. look at how you you approach solving problems with your partner Mm -hmm. um, and resolving some of those differences. Is Mm -hmm. it just arguing or are you really looking for a solution? And and then looking at trust, like you said, um, trust is the foundation. I think the first word that we used was confidence, you know, and -hmm. What is confidence but trust?
1: Right, right, that's right. Um,
0: And so, when we can feel um, confident, when we have that trust in our partner, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. it it significantly changes the way in which we are going to communicate and problem solve and believe um, that they have our, you know, that they're looking out for us just as we're looking out for them. Exactly. Mm -hmm.
1: Yep. And this is something you have partner to partner, but it's also parent to child. Right. It's in it every relationship. Same, same thing applies. You know, how do you resolve your differences with your children? Yeah. Um, and, that,
0: and that also is an attachment issue. Definitely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Is it's a part of every relationship that you have. So. Right. All right. Well, I think that's it for today then. Um, yeah. Until next time. We may, we may
1: talk about attachment again. There are a couple of other attachment issues that we may want to discuss in the future.
0: I think so. so yeah. We'll talk about that. Definitely. Okay. All right. Well, until next time. Stay happy, stay healthy, and forget to be afraid.